You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to another fabulous episode of Dear Multi-Hyphenate. I'm your host, Michael Kushner, and thank you so much for listening. If you're new here after that Carl Burnett and Isla Mel episode, welcome. Please subscribe, rate, review, follow on Instagram at Dear Multi-Hyphenate or at the Michael Kushner, and stay for a while. We have some incredible conversations. I mean, that episode, that was... That was an exciting episode to to talk to Carol Burnett. I mean, come on. So if that episode got you here, welcome. I just want to reiterate what a multi-hyphenate is. A multi-hyphenate is an artist who has multiple proficiencies which cross-pollinate to help flourish professional capabilities. Yes, by multi-hyphenating, you do take steps forward in your professional career to help flourish professional capabilities. But multi-hyphenating is not a self-focused endeavor. Multi-hyphenating is not about me, me, me. Multi-hyphenating is about the other. It's world building. It's ensemble building. It's taking care of the people around you. It's creating lucrative and equitable experiences so that you are creating an income for yourself and for others. I just want to say that. That's what multi-hyphenating is. It is about the other. That being said, <laughs> I want to start every new every episode with um, with an opportunity to answer a question from someone on social media. So if you want to ask me a question, follow me at Dear Multi Hyphenate or at the Michael Kushner and ask me a question. I used to do this uh, a while ago, but I um, I I stopped. <laughs> uh, but now that I have a lot more followers and people that um, are sort of engaged in the work that I do, I figure, why not bring it back? So this is from Isabeau Boscher. Uh, What's your dream shoot as a photographer? That is a very good question. Well, I have been able to photograph some incredible people like Julie Andrews and Adina Menzel and Bette Midler, but the Julie Andrews story was incredible. I mean, uh, that was at Google when she was releasing her book and and starting the book tour. And I was able to photograph her on stage, but backstage as well. And when she saw my Mary Poppins tattoo, I didn't show it to her. She saw it. She grabbed my arm and stared at it and held me there. And was so she started talking to everyone going, did you see this? Oh, this is just fat. Oh, and she, you know, did her Julie Andrews thing, which was incredible. I'll never forget it because, you know, she's the reason for the season for me. But I would love to have her in the studio for new publicity shots or promotional shots or headshots or something like that. I would love to have her in the studio. And it's because um, I'm really proud of the experience that I create with my makeup artists. We create an experience that's about not how you get a good shot, but why you get 
good shots and why you use them in rooms. Um, and I like to think that my clients learn about something about themselves in the industry when they photograph with me. Uh, and to have that experience with Julie Andrews would be really, really cool. Um, yeah, I'm like emotional thinking about it. It would be really awesome. And hey, I love doing what I get to do. I love every day is different because every one story and perspective is different. So that means every photo, every photo shoot is different. Um, so I'm sort of living the dream when it comes to being the, my version of what a photographer is. And I just, I hope I get to keep doing that forever, for always, for as long as I can, for as long as I want to. Uh, that's what multi-hyphenating is, is creating experiences that you can, you know, inspire and make money off of and help others create for as long as you want to, because it's your way of creating. Anyway, let's get into it. Let's start the episode. I love this conversation with 13-time Tony winner Carl, producer Carl Mullenberg. Carl began his career in banking, and after debilitating illnesses threatened his life, he took a new approach to spirituality and healing, and refound his love and passion for Broadway. He has since gone on to be on the producing teams for some of Broadway's most successful shows, Spring Awakening, War Horse, Hair, Death of a Salesman, Pippin, All the Way, The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, Dear Evan Hansen, Angels in America, The Band's Visit, Oklahoma, Hadestown, and Company. His aim has always been to sell compelling stories or to present stunning music which transforms people. Whenever I read Oklahoma, I always want to say it in an Australian accent, Oiklahorima. I'm horrible at the Australian accent, but it makes me laugh every time. Oiklahorima. Oh, gosh. Okay, so... Uh, Oh, also just want to mention that my book, How to Be a Multi-Hyphenate in the Theater Industry, is available for pre-order. It's coming out in February of 2023, but you can buy it now. You can buy it on Amazon or for a little bit of a discounted price right through the Rutledge website. And the link is in my bio on Instagram and social media at the Michael Kushner at Dear Multi-Hyphenate. I really, really hope you enjoy it. I'm really proud of it. Okay, enjoy the episode. Bye. So, Carl, where are you from? I was born in Ohio, um, not in farm country, but <laughs> but in a um, suburb of Toledo, Ohio. I love that. Are you Jewish? No, actually, um, my a lot of people think with the name Bolenberg that I am, but my grandfather's side is actually from Munich, Germany, and it's a German name. Oh, wow. Um, I was going to say, are you from near Shaker Heights, which is a, Jew a Jewish, yeah, pretty my, Jewish. My brother actually lived near there. I have a twin brother and he lived near there and he actually did marry a Jewish woman and they're bringing their family up Jewish. So we kind of celebrate all the holidays connected with both Christianity and, and uh, Judaism. Yeah. That's really beautiful. I know Shaker Heights predominantly is a Jewish area, not because I've ever experienced it, but because Alan Sherman, who's my favorite comedian of the 60s, um, sings uh, one of his songs. He mentions um, Shaker Heights in in one of his uh, yes. songs. And so, I, you know, whenever I'm like, oh, from Shaker Heights, as if I know anything about Shaker Heights, and I certainly don't. So you are a 13-time Tony Award-winning producer. That's 
speaking of Judaism, that's 13 is a lucky number in the Jewish religion, but 13 is a hefty number. I mean, that is, I, I only one day wish I could have that number attached to my name in terms of Tony wins, but let's, let's go back. You know, how did you find yourself in the Broadway community? Well, it's, it's kind of a, long story which is <laughs> laid out in the in the memoir mm -hmm. uh, but I originally started out in the banking world mm -hmm. even though my first love has always been music mm -hmm. uh, in Ohio and, and I went to college in Ohio also uh, I was a classical pianist and studied classical voice but you have to be amazingly good to make it in that field. And, and my parents said, we'd like you to get an MBA and, and support yourself that way. So I actually wound up uh, working for the Morgan Stanleys and then Goldman Sachs's of the world for about 19 years. Mm. Um, I made the transition because of what is mainly described in the book. Mm -hmm. um, should I start back in the 1980s now and get to us there? Or... <laughs> I would love that. Well, you 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 know, it's it's I think this is a good time to say why you're under multi-hyphenate, and that is because you have a book coming out and it is a new memoir titled Carl Molenberg's Story, Broadway and Spirituality as a Path to Survival. So even in that title alone, something happened there's a there's a moment that happened so let's get into it let's talk about the 1980s okay uh i picked exactly the wrong time to figure out that i was gay which was the early 1980s mm -hmm. before anyone knew that there was hiv mm -hmm. or aids and was literally just starting to date a few men mm -hmm. and lo and behold when the very first test came out i tested positive and mm -hmm. as you know from multiple movies and documentaries and and even the new york times stories it was a horrendous period of time it it seemed to most people as though it were a death sentence and i had a lot of friends that that got sick immediately and um and and it was a scary time people originally did not know where it came from mm -hmm. and so they were very paranoid about being around people that were positive uh, people were treated in many cases like pariahs mm -hmm. um, so that starts the history of that takes me through the next 40 years in the book I continued on in investment banking. The hours there are unbelievably long and stressful. Um, you're often working seven in the morning to late at night. And it literally wore me down with having the virus. And by 1995, my T cells were virtually negligible and i came down with the first opportunistic infection which mm -hmm. was pneumocystis was very very sick but survived through it and at that point in time i had actually been thinking of making a transition to the artistic world anyway even without that happening 
um, I wasn't using the creative side of my brain. And, and I think my joy and my excitement comes from that side of my brain rather than the more analytical side that's working in a, in a workplace with very competitive people around you. Um, so that became the momentum once I healed to make the switch into the arts. And I had, I had several years where I rested and took a lot of spiritual related courses. Mm -hmm. um, I became a Reiki master. Um, I learned a lot about energy in general and became an ordained minister. Uh, I became a counselor that, that could work on the suicide prevention hotline at the Trevor Project and helping homeless youth at Ali Fournay. A lot of activities that, that grounded me, but also allowed me to shift to trying to help other people mm -hmm. in, in the time that I was resting. And the revelation came to me that I should switch into the theater world. And, and it, I have a whole chapter devoted to the revelation. It, it actually occurred on, on the banks of the Loire River, believe it or not. Wow. And I, I was sitting on the banks of the river one morning and it was a it was a little bit misty, and the sun the sun was coming down from the other side of the river, mm. and hitting the river and then going right into my face, um, almost like lightning boats or sparklers or whatever. Uh, rowers were on the river, birds were chirping. It it, it could have been a Surat painting. <laughs> I, I think I was I was trying to be in Sunday in the Park with George, except except I was all by myself. <laughs> so, but all of a sudden, while I was sitting there, I literally heard, for about fifteen to twenty minutes, a deep male voice, which I assumed was a higher being, telling me that I had a long life to live. Mm. It was going to be very productive. And my purpose was to help create beauty in the world. And the suggestion was made that that beauty might be through helping to create theater. So, so I rushed back to my hotel room, kind of overwhelmed, and literally wrote the whole conversation down in my diary. And when I got back to New York, started pursuing how to get into Broadway. Um, that is not an immediate process. As, as everyone knows, you, you cannot say now I'm a Broadway producer and have absolutely no idea what you're doing. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> although, although I would argue that a lot of Broadway producers act as if they've never done it before, but it's fine. <laughs> I was trying to be nice. <laughs> that thought was immediately going through my mind. So we, we must be having a little ESP between us, but but the vast majority of producers are, are, are talented at what they're doing and, and, yes. and definitely have, have an amazing ability to produce shows. So I, I did join the, the CTI class mm -hmm. and found some mentors. And um, I don't, I read a lot of books. However, I don't think you can learn theater without just throwing yourself into it. Ultimately, 
you have to be on a show and be part of the conversation of everything that is really unique to that show. Every single show has its own set of challenges and its its own audience that that you're looking to bring in to see the show. So my very first investment, luckily enough, was Wicked. And my very first co-producing role was Spring Awakening. So wow. I, couldn't have, I couldn't have started in a better place and I was hooked. I was absolutely convinced that those words were meant to be and that I was in the right place. Yes. And I felt so much joy immediately from having made that transition. Um, so I not only recovered from the first life-threatening instance in my life, I've had many more in the 30 years since, but the passion that I feel for Broadway, and, and I also do film, but, but um, mostly the Broadway side has sustained me through a lot of life challenges mm -hmm. and has made me so much happier than, than I've ever, ever been. I, I love what I do and I love Broadway. <laughs> That's so beautiful. I mean, you, I have so many questions and so many things I want to talk about. You have something that I, I think every artist needs, whether they don't think they need it or not, it can only help. And that is what I call a why statement. And your why is uh, you, you, your aim has always been to tell compelling stories or to present stunning music, which transforms people. And I think even in that idea, it helps you decide on which projects that you want to commit to, which projects you want to write a unit to, to invest in. And I just feel that when you have those spiritual moments that you had sitting at the river mixed with your understanding for your calling. I think that is a recipe for uh, success in the industry. Sure. Do we get maybe a, uh, a show that didn't recoup? Maybe, maybe we invested in a show that didn't recoup. Sure. We get those, but we learned something. We got something out of it. Uh, whether or not we learn to say no to a show similar, like we, there's a lesson there, and absolutely, I I think that's incredible. You you mentioned at the beginning the the 13 Tony Awards, and you mentioned you know the financial re repercussions of shows whether they recoup or not, which I've been fortunate that about two thirds of mine have wow. had made money. It's amazing. 100, 110 shows that I've thrown myself into in the period, but. But you, the comment that I wanted to reinforce that you made is what I like to do this for is not the recognition and not necessarily the dollars associated. Mm -hmm. I want to tell stories. That, that's what gives me joy and stories that people can relate to or, or it reminds them of something in their own family or it makes them think about something in a different way. In the, in the two to three hours that we have them, they're transformed in some way, whether it's a play or a musical, because I think musicals should have really uh, intriguing stories also. I don't tend to go for shows that are kind of the big song and dance numbers, although 
there's a place for them. I like more intimate shows mm -hmm. that that people think, wow, this is this is truly amazing, and I'm going to leave and talk to all my friends about what I think I discovered in this in this show. So sorry to interject, but I wanted to to reinforce that for me, it's not about awards or money. It's it's about storytelling. That's awesome. That's beautiful. And I just think art is more um, specific and more uh, special. And people, some, some people argue with me about that. They go, I just want to tell, I just want to, I just want to do everything. I just, I don't want to have to, um, I don't want to be specific. I don't want to uh, not not do something I'm like okay that's cool but turn that into some turn that into something specific because mm -hmm. um, then I think what winds up happening is that you're throwing all of the spaghetti against the wall and a few things stick but you might not like how that pasta was cooked or you might not like the sauce that it was come with but if you simmer for a second and you say I love this recipe let me make it and then throw the spaghetti against the wall you at least know that when it sticks it's going to be something you like <laughs> that's a great analogy thank you so much I, I like there's spaghetti too yeah <laughs> I love I love spaghetti are you kidding me I'm tonight because it's the uh, we're recording this on September 30th which is the night that Hocus Pocus 2 is coming it's actually technically right, out I can right. watch it right now and the fact that I haven't watched it right now and that I'm waiting for my friends to come over so we can watch it says a lot about my um devotion and my patience um but I I am uh, making an autumnal pasta tonight to go along with the viewing. And I'm very excited, there but you, go. <laughs> you know, I look, I look, um, it's, it's so funny that it is an extension to your why or your aim. I look at your posters and the ones that I can make out, I see Book of Mormon. I see Wicked. I see Spring Wake and I see 13. I see an American Paris and at least the ones that I could tell what they are. And I have a memory attached to, every single one whether or not that is directly correlated to the material or the experience so 13 mm. right 13 i was in final pretty sure it was final callbacks for that you know i flew up from florida to new york oh, wow. sang, sang for jason robert brown like and i grew up with aaron gross and ari grande and amon foley and max schneider and you know you know and that basically was and i saw the final dress rehearsal because they had the mm. um that kid's performance for if you were 17 or younger, you can right. see the final dress rehearsal. And um, in American in Paris, my best friend's boyfriend made his Broadway debut in that show. And Wicked, I saw Edina in it two days before she fell through the trap door, four days before her last scheduled show. Spring yeah. Awakening, I saw with my grandma, Book of Mormon. That's how I met my fiance was at, was at an audition for Book of Mormon. The shows that you do, the shows that you, from what I can tell, the shows that you produce i have an experience for every single one and if i have an experience for Terrific. every single one imagine all the experiences that you personally are helping create around the world yeah i mean that's that's what makes me so happy about it that that hopefully hopefully the shows i've been involved with and and obviously i'm a very small part of the show i i always love that phrase it takes a village mm -hmm. 
because it does um, from the producing team to the cast to the creative people to the orchestra to the um, the crew I mean everyone involved is part of creating this hopefully a lot of magic moments at the theater and magic memories after the theater and and, and that's why I actually am in my second bedroom slash office and and the entire bedroom is filled with posters of the shows there are about 40 of them around the bedroom and I love that because when I look at a poster it brings back my specific reasons for for why that was a terrific experience and there are four <laughs> I have to admit there are four posters that I have behind the couch <laughs> because they, they weren't incredible experiences but but they're the exception rather than rather than the rule yeah. can you can you drop hints on what they were i'd rather not <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll talk after the episode um <laughs> but no if you look i'm recording in my studio and um i have some of my favorite moments that i've had behind the camera and i have to you know i i'm late of um printing some new ones and just because you know they 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 represent such incredible memories but you know this podcast is about the multi-hyphenate and the multi-hyphenate is an artist that what I say, and that I wrote in my upcoming book, and I say is an artist who has multiple proficiencies, which cross pollinate to help flourish professional capabilities. And I, you know, I have this book coming out called how to be a multi-hyphenate in the theater industry. And it's published by Rutledge publishing something relatable that you said about books, about theater books. And I don't, you could, I wonder what your stance is on this, but when you said you were learning to be a producer, when you were engaging in how to be a producer, that you have to throw yourself in the theater industry. And my, I'm interested to see, but it's a post pandemic theater business book that I wrote mm. and it's coming out in February of 2023. There are some things that every time I reread it, I'm like, oh, that is changed. That's different. That is no longer how it was pre-pandemic, during pandemic, in the stage of reopening past the pandemic, and even now. So I'm like, wow, how is that going to hold up in February? And I go, wow, just have to, you know, write another edition or, you know, whatever. Mm. And that's just the way that it's going to be. But how many books are out there about the human body that you know they got wrong and you just have to sort of live with that but that is what i think i'm the most scared of with this book um about its relevancy and how long it will stay relevant so what is sort of your experience with that with your book and uh what are you the most uh scared of in terms of releasing this book well i know exactly what i'm most scared of uh i am I've always been a really open person, but but I pick friends, a set of close friends that all have hearts of gold. And I, I swear I have the best friends in the world, but a small group and I share everything with them, but I tend to be friendly, but pretty private mm -hmm. with the world in general. Mm -hmm. And now, all of a sudden, my life literally is an open book. Mm -hmm. I haven't even told people there are people in my extended family that i 
I haven't even come out to. Virtually no one did I tell that I've been living through an assorted number of life-threatening situations because of HIV. And the reason I decided to do it, even though I'm terrified of, of being that out in the open, is that a lot of people are going through their own life challenges right now, whether it still be COVID or, or any serious crisis that's in their life. And a lot of people are struggling. So I thought maybe if I detailed how I went through transitioning myself through life challenges, it would be inspirational mm -hmm. to others. And, and the main point I guess I'm trying to make in the book is, is to find your passion. Mm -hmm. And that joy that you get from living out your passion will help you get through the other challenges. Mm -hmm. That that definitely did in my case. Maybe it won't work for everybody, but but um I hope it's I, I hope it's an inspirational factor in some people's lives. So I decided to give up my my privacy uh in, in order to to do that. Sacrifices with boundaries, of course. <laughs> Now, I'm really excited to read your book because I'm a I'm a COVID long hauler and Oh really? I, yeah, when I had COVID in March of 2020, it really kind of reshaped my DNA. And I um was having really bad health stuff for about almost two years and recently just had a development in terms of getting better that really uh made me feel so like I feel almost back to my old self, which is great. Not 100%, but almost there. And it was because I was living for two years with a blood clot. And um, oh, terrible. And no one knew what was causing what I was experiencing, blah, 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 the body pain, the bleeding, the fatigue, the brain fog, the this, the that. And finally, you know, after tests and this and that, um, dis discovered that I had this blood clot. And ever since that went away with, you know, medicine, um, I feel back to myself, but in the, in the two years I've been dealing with this, um, mm. I sort of, you know, I don't want to say that I felt alone because I know that other people were experiencing, uh, health things with COVID. I was not the only long hauler. People were still getting sick and, you know, also artistically, there were people that were losing things. Like even though it wasn't health, it was still part of someone's heart, someone's spirituality. There was a lot sure. of, you know, in Yiddish, surus, troubles happening. And I think having a book like yours that basically says, here's an obstacle that I had, and this is how I overcame it. Also using multi-hyphenate ideals and principles such as doing things that bring you joy, having a why, um, uh, uh, giving things up, um, you know, that raise the stakes and, but also having boundaries. I think the things that you're talking about really reflect the multi-hyphenate principles. And I think that is why, you know, you're a producer, you are a writer now, 
that is why the multi-hyphenate artistry is so important in the 21st century. And I think we can't go back. We can only go forward taking uh, taking back power, not putting it in creative teams' hands, not, I agree. you know, not uh, uh, allowing other people to make decisions for ourselves. And I think you are such a great reflection of that, especially with your oh, book. Thank you. Out. I actually wrote this book during the COVID period. Mm -hmm. You know, I was feeling incredibly isolated. I, I live by myself mm -hmm. as, you know, as everyone was feeling isolated. And I thought, well, people had some producer friends of mine that knew my whole history had been encouraging me to write the story. And mm -hmm. so what better, what better time to write it when I'm, I'm sitting at home wondering what to do with myself. Yeah. And, and speaking of your blood clot issues, um, I've actually had four pulmonary, pulmonary embolisms. So wow. four blood clots in my lungs. So I know, I know exactly that experience. Wow. Um, Part part of um, what I also decided to do, Michael, was branch out into film. So I've I've produced um, several feature films, nowhere near as many as as uh, working on Broadway. Broadway mm -hmm. is my true love, but but got getting to work with some really exciting people on the film front, and including Brian Cranston and Jennifer Garner, and my most recent film, which we're editing right now. It's called the Nana Project. It's a very funny mockumentary, but it stars Mercedes Rule, who I adore as Nana, and had some amazing cast members such as Nolan Gould from Modern Family as her grandson. Uh, so I, Eric Uloa wrote it. If if you know him, he's I love Eric. He's a brilliant writer and such a good person. So we had a lot of fun with it, and I can't wait for it to come out, um, which will be be somewhere probably the beginning of next year. As a producer, tell me, what do you appreciate the most when someone approaches you with a project? What do you look out for? What um, what attracts you? And, and do you use your why statement, like your aim, uh, to help you decide what to work on? For sure. The first thing I look at is the story, as I as I was talking about before. Is it a story that that really touches me in mm -hmm. some way, or that I think is really unique mm -hmm. and needs to be told? Mm -hmm. um, the second thing is usually intimacy. Mm. I, the The types of musicals, if if you look through them, especially the more recent ones, are the band's visit, Hades Town, Dear Evan Hansen. I was not a producer, but an investor in Once, which is one of my favorite musicals. They're all small musicals that have a story. Sometimes they're just one set, not a very large cast, uh, not a ton of choreography, actually, but they have an incredibly intimate story about mm -hmm. them that affects people. I think. I think in some of them, no matter how many times I went back to see them, I would cry mm -hmm. at the same place. Even knowing, knowing it was coming up, it still hit me over and over again. Um, I look at the producing team that is associated with it and that we're putting together to see if they're people that, that I like and trust and 
can collaborate with mm -hmm. them and you'll love what they've done in the past. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you also have to look at the financials, mm -hmm. which is where my <clears throat> uh, analytical side comes in. I think the best producers are those that have both an analytical or business side at some point in their lives mm -hmm. and, and, and obviously a strong creative side because there are a lot of business decisions that enter into successfully producing a show. But the, the first one that I look at when I haven't even decided to go on a show is the weekly running expenses, the capitalization for the whole show. What does the recoupment look like? Um, and, and where, where I think it will fit within the season. Does it have a niche that, will let it stand out and be visible and seen. Is there a demographic that is strong enough that, that we can appeal to to come to see the show? Um, how will Mark will market it? Is this a show that we think will attract people best by having TV ads? Mm -hmm. Or is it better to have a huge social media campaign or, or a bigger print campaign. So um, I think those are the most important things I, I look at. Obviously, if it's a musical, um, having a music background, I, I want the music to be glorious. And, you know, I think all those shows I just mentioned have, have glorious music. Um, and going back to the very first one, Spring Awakening, I could listen to that cast album over and over again. It was so haunting uh, and, and so perfect for a musical that had themes that were really difficult to portray. You know, suicide and abortion and mm -hmm. families not accepting you, um, teachers disciplining you and not, not allowing you freedom of expression. Yeah. And that's all in a musical. And you would think, well, why does someone want to go see that? Well, it was... It was incredibly haunting and incredibly glorious music, I, I believe. And, and also the, the actors that were in it were not incredibly well-known at the time, mm -hmm. but think about how incredibly successful they've all been because they're brilliant. From Leah Michelle to Jonathan Groff to John Gallagher Jr. Mm -hmm. to Gideon Glick to to Lily. Um, I mean, there, there's so many people that that were in the show that have made fantastic careers and they weren't known then. Mm -hmm. We were getting the first major look at them and that was really exciting. And I saw them. I saw, you know, I again, I went with my grandma and we had such an incredible time. I I love the Tony performance. It makes me feel a yeah. certain way. Like, I don't know. It just makes me feel of that time because that was when I started going to French woods and I started to make friends in the industry and I felt like I was a part of the industry. It was all very exciting. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think what you're saying is so incredible and I wish, you know, I, and I really hope that new producers, young, young producers get to listen to this conversation because a question I get as a producer is how do I get started? What do I do? And there's a million different answers for that one. But I think it's truthfully listening to these converse, conversations 
Mm-hmm. And what you're saying is to just get started, uh, raise some money for a web series, um, you, uh, assist an, a producer, um, produce a reading, see what goes into making a reading. How do you get a studio Ripley Greer? How do you um, invite an audience? How do you fill out a studio at Ripley Greer? What goes into that? The RSVPs, press, a press release, hiring a press person. There's so many different things that a producer um, can be a part of. And of course, once you start getting into like a K1, the investment and the K1. And and so there's difference, but but you like what you were saying before, you don't just sort of show up and you go, I'm a producer. You have to take the baby steps and you have to learn and you have to work with other people. Producing is an environment building experience. Um and I feel like just figuring out what a producer does and how they do it is the experience and education you need into becoming a producer. Yeah, I think attaching yourself to a producer that that is somewhat experienced is is the best way of all, but there are a ton of other ways like many of which you just mentioned where you can get started and throw yourself in. I I personally love mentoring people that are just entering in the into the field um because I I felt blessed to have some people that did that for me and and we need new works mm-hmm. we need new writers we need new directors we need new producers that are bringing completely original material to broadway i, I think if i have one big concern it's it's that new works are are not making their way all the way to the broadway stages as much as they should be and how, I mean, there's some shows that I've seen in readings or uh, workshops or backers audition, whatever, that I'm like, I don't think that that is a, uh, a show that belongs on a Broadway stage. Then you mm-hmm. find it's the responsibility of the producer to find the right space for that where it could do its best job. Yeah, yeah. But there are some shows that I go, you belong on Broadway. Why is no one taking the chance to... You know, and Strange Loop was one of them. Strange Loop, I was um, a part of the first developmental readings for at Musical Theater Factory. And I remember, I think after like one presentation or something like that, there was a producer, we were having like a group conversation. There was one woman that stood up and basically said, no one will take a chance on that. No one will, no one will take a chance on shows like that. And I was like, no one will take a chance on that as long as you keep saying no one will take a chance on that. (laughs) You're absolutely right. And it took 10 years. You know, this was in 2013, 2014. So give or take eight to nine years. But like Strange Loop finally got to Broadway when there are shows like, and this is not to knock back back to the future and shows like that, really big commercial shows. But there are shows like Back to the Future that just sort of have like a, a straight shot to Broadway. And yet we have more sh- multiple shows like a strange loop so many incredible shows that these new writers these marginalized decentered writers are writing that could win the tony for best musical that could be the next hamilton that could be the next spring awakening that could be the next whatever 
And we have to start taking more chances on those. We have to start centering those stories. So I'm so glad that you're on the same page. Yeah, we really do. And 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 part of that is is a longer process, I believe, that 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 we can't do in, in one short podcast, but but there is some major restructuring of the industry that mm-hmm. that has to happen. Um, shows plays that used to be three million dollars all of a sudden are six million dollars to put on and and it's 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 gotten out of control for a whole variety of reasons Mm -hmm. it's it's not focusing just on one particular problem but but um but in order to have the the new musicals and the new plays happen hopefully they can happen for a cost that is realistic and feasible and that and that theater owners and and other people associated with the decisions will will help um, to get them on stage because they don't look completely unrealistic as shows that can run for quite a long time. So what for you then, just on the top of your head, what for you is probably the first thing that producers can do to cut those costs, to make those shows less expensive and more accessible to get to a Broadway stage? What is one thing someone can do? Well, the, the thing is, it's not, I think people often believe it's just the producers that can do this, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it's actually the theater owners and mm-hmm. the union rules. The, the most expensive parts of putting on a show are the load in and load out <laughs> into wow. the theater, which have gotten vastly more expensive. There are things that producers can do too, obviously, uh, but but it's a whole combination of everyone that's connected with the major decision making on a show that that ultimately have to get together and restructure the the costs associated with them. A lot of times I just think producers get blamed (laughs) for everything. And and there are some producers maybe that deserve to be blamed for everything that are still functioning. But but in general, I I think producers have the right spirit in, in going in and they do want to help solve the problem. But but we can't do it by ourselves. Mm hmm. Being a producer is it's it's a certainly interesting experience because you don't you can't go to college and get a degree in producing. There's no one plus two equals three with producing. We don't know why a show is a hit and why it's a flop. We can't figure it out. There's no rhyme or reason. And show business, there there's so many exceptions to the rule when it comes to uh functioning and i think there's a lot of things that need to be fixed in the theater industry of course there are things that have happened that happened in the golden age that are still happening now that can't happen um anymore and shouldn't happen but there are some things that are so hard to change just because of the uh because of the uh daring aspect of what show business is because of the um of how scary and and uncertain things are in the industry that 
mistakes are made along the way just because you have to make a choice. You have to decide to do something. And there's a lot of pressure to do that. Sometimes it's the right choice and sometimes it isn't. Yeah, right. I mean, there are, to, to get back to your question of what producers can do, there, there are things that I believe producers should be doing. And, you know, one, one will probably get me in trouble because, because we need regional theaters and I truly support regional theaters. Yes. But I don't think Broadway shows as a producer need to pay a million and a half to two million dollars enhancement to a significant regional theater for mm. a tryout before it comes out to Broadway and raises the cost astronomically. There are a whole lot of other ways to try out a show and, and to get it ready. And what for you are those? What for you are those ways? Um, you can have a significantly longer um, lab or or workshop or rehearsal period. You can have longer previews. Mm -hmm. You know, just to get the the show ready. You can you can have um, a showing in front of potential investors only. You you can try. Like I happen to be a, a board member of New York Stage and Film. Mm -hmm. They're a tremendous incubator of projects. And a lot of the most famous musicals had their original tryouts there. And, and they got to work in a very private space and literally just hammer it out and, and be in a closed room with all the creative people having discussions about what works and what doesn't work. So, I mean, there, there are other ways to do it than that, that get you to the theater with significantly lower costs. And, and obviously there are decisions you can make about, about how fancy the set needs to be, for example. You know, I've seen a lot of incredible musicals that have one set. And Spring Awakening had one set with a band on the back of the stage. Mm -hmm. Once had one set. Mm -hmm. The band's visit had basically one set. They just moved people to different sides of the stage if they were moving location. So um, I know you can't do that with, with the really large numbers that have tremendously large dance numbers. Mm -hmm. You know, that that is a whole different set of decisions, but but particularly with the shows that I love, there are ways to to get to get it there that revolve around certain producer decisions. I think you're so right. I think that there's definitely a middle ground. I think some shows absolutely need to do an out-of-town tryout. Some shows absolutely need to get on their feet and get in front of an audience, of course. I think we have some massive hits on our hands that if they didn't try out, then... Uh, they wouldn't have some answers to need significant no. answers, you know, but not every show, especially smaller shows need to strive for that. Some are, some can take other routes. I completely agree with what you're saying and it could potentially help smaller shows that could get to a commercial space like that of Broadway. I hate to wrap this conversation up because I feel like I can talk to you for ever and i plan to um but, but your book is coming out october 1st and uh and you can get it on amazon barnes and noble um 
what is the one major thing that you are excited for when it comes to this book? I'm I'm incredibly excited that that it's I believe it is an inspirational story, and I believe it will encourage people that are maybe early in their career in the arts, as you've been referring to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it will be a story of surmounting obstacles in people's lives. And, and that's, that's my sole aim. Uh, I, I didn't write it, again, to talk about me or my mm-hmm. career as a producer or, or um, going through each show and talking at length about all the shows I've been involved with. I did it to talk about a personal journey mm-hmm. in hopes that, that my, my personal journey will inspire other personal journeys. That's what I'm excited about. Carl, that's beautiful. And I'm so happy you're on Dear Multi-Hyphenate and now a part of the Dear Multi-Hyphenate family. Can we, how can we stay in touch with you? If someone listening to this wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Probably by email. Uh, my email is carlmullenberg at gmail.com. And I'm happy for people to reach out to me there. I also have a website www.carlmullenberg.com where I talk about film and theater and my memoir and and um, there's a way for people to reach me on there also. Wonderful, Carl. Thank you so much for talking with me today. This was such a wonderful conversation. October 1st, Carl Mullenberg's book comes out. Please get it. And if you do get it, post a picture with it. Tag Dear Multi-Hyphenate on Instagram. I want to see that you got it. Uh, I'm so excited to read this book for myself. And uh, Carl, here's to many, many more Broadway shows, many more films, uh, many more years in this industry that we love. Well, thanks so much. It's really been a pleasure speaking with you. Of course. Thanks to Broadway Podcast Network. And thank you for listening. Please subscribe, comment, rate, do all of that good stuff. And a reminder, my book, How to Be a Multi-Hyphenate in the Theater Business, Conversations, Advice, and Tips from Dear Multi-Hyphenate, published by Rutledge Publishing, is coming out February 2023 and is available for pre-order on the Rutledge website and Amazon. So I hope you get that too. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.